Hi, my name is Will McBride, and you're listening to Blackout Tuesday. We're now nearly two years into the deadliest pandemic in U.S. history. Over 700,000 Americans have died as a result of COVID-19, adding to a tally of over 5 million deaths worldwide. Even now, the virus maintains its hold over the United States as new variants continue to propagate, shuttering businesses and altering our daily lives, perhaps irreparably. However, in many ways, from getting sick from the virus to fallout from its societal impact, we can see that the pandemic hasn't affected everyone equally. We have notably glaring disparities in the pandemic's effects. And in the United States, this is especially the case for the Black community. In the months following the start of the pandemic's first wave, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention reported in 2020 that Black Americans are 1.4 times more likely to contract the coronavirus, 3.7 times more likely to be hospitalized, and 2.8 times more likely to die from COVID-19. However, the factors behind these disparities haven't always been discussed in the media in a way that is in tune with today's socioeconomic realities. In early April 2020, when data showed that 56% of Louisiana's COVID deaths were Black Americans, Louisiana Senator Bill Cassidy sat down with NPR's Morning Edition to talk about the racial disparities in his state. Let's take a listen. Uh, can you tell me what is being done to help um, the Black community in your state right now, which you know it clearly is being disproportionately hit by, by this disease? Well, I think it's first... <laughs> Clearly, there's been a surge of ventilators, of medical equipment to all folks, particularly in southeast Louisiana, because that's where we had the peak first, with beds opening, et cetera. I worked in the charity hospital system for 25 years as a physician, and 80% of my patients were African-Americans. That was just the demographic makeup. And so uh, some things in your report, I'm not quite sure people of whatever race are less likely, at least of African-American race, are less likely to go to the hospital. Again, that was my practice, and I did not see that. But if you're going to look at the fundamental reason, um, uh, African-Americans are 60% more likely to have diabetes. Now, if you look at the NIH website, that would say that's for obesity, for genetic reasons, perhaps other things. The virus likes to hit what is called an ACE2 receptor, an ACE inhibitor, uh, excuse me, an ACE receptor. Now, if you have diabetes, obesity, hypertension, um, and diabetes and hypertension are clearly risk factors for problems from COVID, then African-Americans are going to have more of those receptors inherent in their having the diabetes, the hypertension, the obesity, uh, and inherent in them having an overrepresentation of that. So there's a physiologic reason which is explaining this. Now, as a physician, I would say we need to address the obesity epidemic, which disproportionately affects African-Americans, but all in all Americans, we need to address it. That would lower the prevalence of di- diabetes, of hypertension, of the ACE uh, receptors, et cetera, and that's what would bring benefit. Well, I mean, as we heard in that report, I mean, some underlying health conditions and disparities are are part of the issue here. But I mean, we heard Congressman Cedric Richmond say as well that this is rooted in years of systemic racism. Aren't there other forces at work here? Well, you know, that's rhetoric, and it may be. But as a physician, I'm looking at science. Cassidy, when asked about what is being done to help the black community during this crisis, instead took this time to engage in some whataboutism, diverting attention from addressing the problem at hand that being racial disparities and COVID-19 outlook, to not only assert in poor faith the need to address the obesity problem in the United States amidst the pandemic, as if that's a reasonable course of action, 
But to downplay and all but dismiss outright that systemic racism plays a role in these disparities while simultaneously suggesting that the fundamental reason for this is genetic reasons. This is an intentional diversion, as well as a dangerous one. Not only is this reasoning about ACE2 receptors unfounded in evidence, for example, according to Rachel Graham, a virologist at the University of North Carolina, who was part of the team that first discovered how the coronavirus binds to cells, having more ACE2 receptors does not make someone more susceptible to infection. But his assertion that there are genetic reasons at the root of the disparity is immediately reminiscent of ideas surrounding biological race. Biological race is the idea that there are genetically distinct and disparate races that, among other traits, may be genetically predisposed to certain conditions or to being susceptible to certain illnesses. And as a concept, it's historically been used as the justification of racism itself. Unfortunately, as unfounded in science as it is, it is not a remotely new one in the medical and scientific community. Race science, or biological racism, is a belief that has found its way into various disciplines of scientific study as well as Western society at large. In the modern era, even after years of research indicating that there is more genetic variation within so-called racial groups than between disparate ones, as indicated in USC's 2002 study, Genetic Structure of Human Populations, and that race itself is indeed a social myth rather than a physiological reality, race science persists in both the scientific community and the world of politics, no longer to outright rank races for the purpose of justifying discrimination, but instead to now serve as a way to sidestep confronting the impact of said racial discrimination on today's world as we know it. In the absence of biological race, race, being a social construct, need only be discussed for the purpose of understanding the way these ideas affect how various groups pass through and are affected by society. In the absence of biological race, the only thing black people are guaranteed to have in common with each other is that they are perceived as black and experience anti-black racism as a result. So when looking for any fundamental reasons why the black community is being disproportionately affected by the coronavirus pandemic, stopping the investigation at the assumption of any so-called genetic reasons is bad praxis. That being said, what is true is that black Americans do tend to have higher rates of chronic conditions that are likely to cause COVID-19 complications. Among various other conditions, recent studies have found that in addition to high rates of obesity and hypertension, black people are more likely to develop asthma, cancer, and diabetes than other ethnic groups. So why is this the case? Well, when we look at the overall health of populations, those that tend to be of lower socioeconomic status tend to have poorer health than those of higher affluency and income, due to, among other reasons, the environments in which they tend to live, longer and more demanding work hours that impact time for sleep and exercise, and reduce access to a varied and healthy diet. Even though the majority of those living in poverty in the United States are white people who, while numbering at 19 million, compose around 42% of impoverished Americans, black people not only have a higher poverty rate per capita, composing around 27% of America's poor while only being 13.8% of the U.S. population, but black Americans of all incomes are much more likely to live in low-income, high-poverty neighborhoods than their white counterparts. A 2015 study from the Stanford Graduate School of Education found that Black and Hispanic households are more likely to live in much poorer neighborhoods than white and Asian Americans of the exact same income. And this disparity remains true at all income levels, with Black people living in the poorest areas of all ethnic groups. A growing body of research suggests that the sources for this disparity can likely be traced to a variety of things, from the history of redlining in the U.S., 
and ongoing discrimination from the housing market to the preference of many people to live near others of the same race and ethnicity. But the impact of this on the black community is wide ranging and not only sets limits on life possibilities due to reduced access to quality education and social mobility, but also long-term health. High poverty concentrated neighborhoods tend to be in less desirable, highly polluted areas, as well as be located in food deserts, which are areas in which residents have little or no access to affordable healthy foods. And in relation to the ongoing pandemic, both of these are factors that can easily lead to the development of long-term health issues, which can worsen COVID-19 outlook. On top of that, Black voters are disproportionately more likely to have low-wage frontline essential jobs, which puts them at increased exposure to COVID-19 during the pandemic. Additionally, after contracting COVID-19, not only do Black people who are eventually hospitalized tend to have worse and more severe symptoms, additionally, after contracting COVID-19, not only do Black people who are eventually hospitalized tend to have worse and more severe symptoms, for example, non-Hispanic Black people are much more likely to require mechanical ventilators for breathing after being hospitalized, but they also have around two times the mortality rate of white people. While it's widely thought that this is simply due to a higher rate of comorbidities or underlying conditions with COVID-19, a study sponsored by Nature.com found that this disparity remains even when accounting for these underlying conditions. A later study published in the Journal of American Medical Association seemingly confirmed this finding, finding that although when considering comorbidities and race, black patients were 11% more likely to die in the hospital or require hospice care after their stay, this disparity disappeared when accounting for the hospitals that people are admitting to. In other words, the hospitals that people end up going to can quite literally make the difference between life and death, and Black people disproportionately have access to lower quality medical care. Hospitals in low-income areas, where again, Black patients are more likely to live in, have less resources available to them to provide adequate and life-saving care to their patients, and this is especially true in the midst of a pandemic. Of course, as of 2021, Americans have access to multiple powerful vaccines that can provide protection from the worst symptoms of COVID-19, and encouragingly, as of September 2021, over 70% of Black adults have been vaccinated after months of notable vaccine hesitancy in the community, which will hopefully help to drive down the numbers of those hospitalized as new variants continue to spread across the country. The question now is, what happens next? It's inevitable that more pandemics will happen in our future. And if COVID has taught us anything, it's that at the moment, despite all of society's technology, medical advancements, and resources, we are still incredibly vulnerable to disease. And if history repeats itself, as it so often does, the same communities hit the hardest by the current pandemic will likely be similarly devastated in the future for the exact same reasons. Fortunately, there still is opportunity to learn from what this pandemic has taught us, and we can do so by examining the COVID response of a few key places in the U.S. Early on in the pandemic, Michigan was the first of states to be hit hard by COVID. And as they were the first to release data by race as well, it became clear very early on that Black residents in the state were being hit disproportionately by the virus. While only comprising 15% of the state population, they counted for 29% of cases and over 40% of deaths. 
The governor then assembled a task force on racial disparities, identifying which areas of the state were at high risk, and then used this data to determine which areas to increase testing access in, which hospitals need the most support and protective gear, and which communities to target with quote-unquote strategic communication. By the end of September, they were able to drop this to 8.2% of cases and 10% of deaths. This is incredible. And one of the more important factors of this that we haven't touched on yet is strategic communication. Since COVID-19 hit, there has been a plethora of misinformation circling Western media, with sources ranging from state officials around the world to meme pages on Facebook. And combined with less than consistent guidance from the U.S. government under both of the most recent presidential administrations towards the pandemic, this has spurred on resistance to COVID mitigation all over the country. But what has been perhaps of particular concern is that this resistance, along with more recently with vaccine hesitation, that's notably been present in the black community, even as black people are more vulnerable to the virus. Given the long history of mistreatment by the state towards black people at all levels, from discriminatory laws to police violence to unethical science experiments to the continued propagation of biological racism to poor experiences in the medical field, it's no surprise that there is an underlying intergenerational skepticism towards state affairs in the black community. Many sociologists point towards the now infamous Tuskegee syphilis experiments as the focal point for the mistrust of doctors and scientists by black people. But even today, treatment of black patients by the doctors they rely on for healthcare reinforces this mistrust over and over again. And while these concerns and hesitations are informed by people's real life experiences, this ultimately can leave the same populations most vulnerable to easily spread diseases even more so. This is where strategic communication comes in targeting demographics with specifically tailored information and messaging. For example, a study in January 2021 found that while Black and Hispanic respondents were likely to want to wait longer to take the vaccine, and that Black respondents were less likely to want to take the vaccine at all than any other group, a significant number of Black and Hispanic respondents reported that receiving more information on the experiences of taking the vaccine by those of their own ethnicity, as well as receiving vaccine and COVID information from doctors of their own ethnicity, would make them more likely to receive the vaccine. At the outset of the COVID breakout, many claimed the virus as the great equalizer, that it wouldn't discriminate between the privileged and the disadvantaged. And maybe there's a timeline out there where that's the case. For now, hopefully we're able to take the harsh lessons COVID is teaching us about our society in real time and be better prepared for the next pandemic that comes along. Again, I'm your host, Will McBride, and thank you for tuning in to Blackout Tuesday. Until next time, 